This is State of Us Election 2020. I'm Dion Fanning, and on the verge of a generation-defining election, we have got the voices of a generation. No? no. Yeah, let's, no. let's go with that. Yeah, no. Yeah. no, I want that. I, they, they don't have to. I'll take it. I was talking about myself. Helen <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Coyne, Emmett Kerwin, and Carl Kinsler, we've brought them all in today, um, and we're going to talk about what could happen, what has happened, and why it's happened. I mean, the whingers that I hear every week saying, there's nothing happening. Well, all of the protesters that I have seen before uh, seem to have extremely expensive phones, tablets, uh, video cameras, and other... Sorry, sorry. It's more like um, a very trendy kind of boutique hotel type place, right? Please. Fuck you, Deputy Stag. Fuck eight, you. Eight, eight. There's a very simple false assumption of what you're saying, that I am a wealthy man. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't necessarily assume that if I were you. Ask my bank manager. When it comes to Sinn Féin and the rule of law and public order Deputy and condemning Benjamin. violence, it doesn't take very long for your balaclava to slip. Up the Republic, up the rebels, and it's Chucky Law. Control yourself. Control yourself. So we began this election campaign full of... Uh, I would say lacking some enthusiasm for what was to come, thinking we were just going to be stuck with uh, more of the same, a uh, choice between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And I think as we are on the verge of, of polling day, we've, we've witnessed something extraordinary. It's been an incredible electrifying campaign that actually has sort of energised um, people who I don't think expected to be, I don't think politicians expected to be energised by an election. Um, and that might be the, the, the reason for, for the downfall of a certain number of politicians over the weekend. But we're going to look back on what's happened over this week. And also, of course, on, uh, as on we're recording on Friday, polling, is, uh, polling day is tomorrow. Um, but Ellen Coyne, starting with you, we had on Monday uh, an Irish Times poll that put Sinn Féin in the lead and had Fine Gael in third place. Are we looking now... Uh, certainly at the last few days of Fine Gael in power? Based on the panic coming from the Fine Gael campaign, I think it could be likely. It'll all depend over the weekend on, first of all, turnout from, I think, particularly people 34 and younger. But, like, it's not good vibes coming from Fine Gael's campaign headquarters at the moment. And I think that this was kind of... People keep talking about polls from November that had Fine Gael doing pretty well and kind of suggesting that there was some sort of like earthquake movement that happened over the last three weeks which I don't really think is possible I think this goes back to the crash I think mm. that at that point um, Fine Gael the 2011 election was very obviously about the economy Fine Gael tried to make the 2016 one about the economy again and they tried to do the same thing this time and I think that basing your entire premise on just being the alternative to Fianna Fáil obviously sets you up for a fall when the public inevitably decide that they're sick of the same two parties, which appears from all the polling that we've had the whole way along to have been what happened. And I think that after the weekend, you might find people in Fine Gael in an absolute state of shock. I think there could be some ministers who'll lose their seats. But that also needs to be a bit of a lesson for Fianna Fáil, who, if they get back into power, can't spend their next term in government just saying we're not 
Fine Gael. Like you need to kind of put forward your own vision as a party that separates you from civil war politics and the same two parties that have been in power for 80 years. And is that something that is a, a real possibility, you feel, like that kind of a wipeout for Fine Gael? It, it it seems it seems possible like there's a lot of mixed factors like there's an assumption among the two parties that there's shy Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael voters there's assumption that there's a lot of shy Fine Gael voters who weren't willing to admit it to polling companies because they just wanted to be angry at the government or give the government a kicking on health and housing but like there is a possibility as well that maybe some of the rhetoric around Sinn Féin over the last week might change people's minds that they might consider differently about the prospect of you know, Taunishta or Taoiseach Mary Lou Macdonald answering the kind of questions that she did during the week in not a very satisfactory way. Mm. Um, and then there just could be a mess with people who want to vote left and just have too many options and maybe decide to go green instead of Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin instead of green, Sock Dems, Labour. Like that's a lot more split than the binary choice of Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. I think it's going to be a really messy count on Sunday. Um, Emmett, we, uh, you know, I introduced you there just as part of the, you know, the, the three voices. Uh, but we're very, you know, it's great to have you here. It's great you could find the time to come in. Like, it's, uh, um, we're, we're honoured to have you in. Uh, but I was wondering, like, when you look back, like, what did you expect from this election when it was called? Um, I don't know. I think, I think I was watching it closely. I was watching what was happening with Fine Gael. As Alan said, you know, back in November, I think... Fine Gael massively overplayed the importance of what they thought young people would feel about Brexit. And while Brexit is an incredibly important thing, everybody knows this, it's catacly- could be could have been cataclysmic, the most prescient issues on the minds of 18 to 35-year-olds or even 18 to 50-year-olds is not Brexit. And whilst people in the media might argue, then that's foolish, maybe they're right. But, you know, it's the bread and butter issues for the majority of young voters is is my landlord going to tell me tomorrow that his nephew is moving in and he's going to... Is my landlord tomorrow going to, you know, tell me that my nephew is moving in and throw me out? Is my rent going to go up? Rent controls aren't working. Is he going to basically move me out and then move in Airbnbers? These are the things. Am I going to still be living at home with my parents well into my 30s? Am I ever going to own a house? So the kind of social mobility aspect of Fine Gael, which is one of the kind of defining principles that, you know, the opportunity... Uh, what's a you know, republic of opportunity or uh, equality of opportunity has really been shown to be, you know, that myth of meritocracy thing. It's, it's, it doesn't actually translate uh, in an economy that is, that is geared, geared as unfairly as it is. How do you think, like, how much has that taken, you know, the big, two big parties by surprise? Because, like, you know, when you look at things like uh, marriage equality and repeal and even the th- mm. idea of, like, the home to vote campaign, like, at the start of this election, nobody would have thought like there would be any issue that would kind of like sort of mobilize the younger generation the way those issues had. Now, I know there's not going to be the same kind of uh, feel good kind of liberating uh, movement for this. But housing has been that issue for the young generation in this election, isn't it? And it's kind of it's blindsided the main parties. you know, obviously there's a binary choice between, you know, in referenda, there's one thing that's good. Some people will say this choice is good, this choice is bad. And then national elections are grey. You know, they, they're, they're messy, as Alan said, and it is going to be messy on Sunday. I think the main problem is, is that they live in a bubble and people see that. And the civil servants who are advising them are obviously living in a bubble. And they really don't understand the republic that they have built. So 
in the last like nine, ten years, the government has been shaped, or the country, I should say, has been shaped in a Fine Gael image. So in 2011, after, you know, all of the, the, the cataclysmic shift that happened after the Great Recession or whatever you want to call it, there was a chance for a kind of Rooseveltian-style New Deal opportunity for Ireland. But what we didn't, we didn't get that. We got the old deal. We got Michael Noonan's, let's get this thing back on the track and get it back on the track at whatever cost. And the cost was Ireland's young. So we essentially outsourced all of our young people to the four corners of the globe in order for us to, or them, to get the house in order. Kind of like what would have happened to families, you know, years ago if there was, a, you know, two younger children might go around the corner to say the grannies. But now they can't come back from grannies because there's nowhere for them to live, you know. So what they did is they essentially sacrificed their youth, our most important kind of resource, in order to get their house in order. And now they are going to reap the whirlwind because essentially they have created a country that benefits a very small cadre of corporations to kind of hide their wealth and put their wealth away. And what they've done is they have done it at the expense of young people. So those, those referenda that happened were about positivity. And this election for young people is going to be about payback for the financial things that they did to them. So, Carl, like, you know, we've talked about the possible split in the left vote, but one of the interesting things about from the Irish Times poll on Monday was, you know, that parties that the people would not like to see in government. Now, Sinn Féin was, was the most popular party, but also the least popular party. But the <coughs> second least popular party was Fine Gael. And I wonder if there's an easier way of keeping Fine Gael. Like, will all that vote, do you think, go to Sinn Féin or will that be split in a way that, say, if you want to keep Sinn Féin out of government, I don't know where I don't know who you would actually be more certain of or more positive what which party would do that. Yeah, well I think obviously as we've discussed before a huge factor that it could end up keeping Sinn Féin out of government was their own kind of pessimism coming into this election. You know, they came off the back of local and European elections last year where they actually lost a lot of seats and they ran only 42 candidates this time around. That's compared to 50 in 2016. So they weren't expecting to be in the amazing position they're in now. They definitely weren't expecting to be top of the polls. They weren't expecting to be in a position where they might be leading a government. So I think, you know, Sinn Féin are, they'll be hard pushed to form a left-led coalition. Um, You know, like it's going to require Greens and SOC Dems and some independents and PBP all hitting their targets. You've got Brendan Howland of Labour who says he won't work with Sinn Féin. So in many ways, it seems a little bit like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have very much, in the way they've sort of treated Sinn Féin throughout this campaign, like they've both kind of doubled up on, you know, who doesn't want to go into the government with the more, who's your better bet for keeping Sinn Féin out. And I think all that's really served to do is elevate Sinn Féin's uh, profile. Because uh, like Emmett says, you've got a situation where the young people have very much roundly turned on Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. So it's almost like whatever they say not to do, we're going to do that. So if you have a situation where they say, no, Sinn Féin are the enemy, Sinn Féin are, you know, like a shadowy organisation that you can't trust. If someone you don't trust tells you that you can't trust someone else, the chances are you're going to actually be pretty well predisposed to the other person. So uh, you've got a situation where people, young people, are pretty likely to vote Sinn Féin. Um, Sinn Féin could do very well, but at the same time, they are probably, they're going to have a real struggle to actually get into government here, um, because simply because of the numbers. Um, and has, like, you know, has it surprised you 
what's happened in this campaign? Like, has it has it taken you by surprise? Uh, yeah, it has to some degree. It doesn't surprise me that Fine Gael are on such uh, a downslide. I mean, I think hinging their or like hedging their their thing entirely on Brexit was really misguided because I think after I think what Irish people always secretly hoped for from Brexit was that it would fall apart for the UK and that they would be forced to stay in the EU or they would have to come with their tail between their legs and have a horrible deal that you know emasculates them and all that and that just hasn't really happened you know Boris Johnson won a really commanding uh, majority in the election last year Brexit has happened now it's as far as people are concerned, Brexit is pretty much done. People want to talk about healthcare and housing. Fine Gael's whole strategy of talking about being the team that achieved Brexit is just not resonating with people. So I think it doesn't surprise me at all that that didn't work. Uh, I think it shouldn't. It won't surprise anybody. On the won't surprise you know the man on the street as a, as which mm. literally just refers to everybody. Mm. Uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody that this hasn't worked. Uh, it's surprising maybe that Sinn Fein have because uh, I mean we're, there was such a talk of a green wave. This has obviously been less about a green wave and more of a Sinn Fein surge. Mm. Um, Greens are obviously set to increase their number of seats by a good amount, but I think Sinn Fein simply by positioning themselves as the polar opposite, just in terms of narrative positioning themselves as the polar opposite to Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, and Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil then heaping on that by saying, yeah, you guys are the polar opposite. I think that has really helped Sinn Féin. And I guess, I don't know if you'd call that surprising. I think it's definitely not unpredictable. I think, you know, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil probably should have been able to see this coming. As well, if you, sorry, okay. I just, just one thing about the. I think young people, and I say young people, this is a very broad kind of, you know, I'm talking about the electorate from the age of 18 to 50, yeah. because, you know, 60% of the population are earning under 30,000 euros. And if 85% of the population are earning under 50,000 euros, do you do look at a party like Finnegan and say, well, who is it that you represent? You know, who, is, who are you speaking for? And the idea when you set yourself up as a, a kind of, in a kind of, it's not even a Thatcherite mould, but a kind of David Cameron mould of, you know, hug a husky, you know, liberal, socially liberal on some issues and then fiscally conservative. But the liberalism that they practice is incredibly limited. Mm. And the referendums that they say they delivered, they just kind of got out of the way of social movements that were pushing for those issues mm. for literally a generation. So they don't get a cookie for basically giving the people what they've been banging on for not banging on for, but literally in the streets, you know, uh, like uh, protesting for, for nearly 30 years. And then also the fiscal conservative aspect of their policies, you know, you can't call yourself a fiscal conservative and then build the most expensive piece of real estate in Crumlin or the most expensive like hospital in the Northern Hemisphere and then infrastructure that basically balloons from one, one billion to three billion. So even the fiscal conservative aspect of their, of their policies don't work. Mm. And what happens is you see they won't give money to social programmes, they won't give money to public housing, they won't give money to health or public health, but they are more than happy for the transfer of public land and public money into the hands of private companies through public-private partnerships in order to build the infrastructure we need. So essentially it's like this two-fisted hand grab for the money of the Republic and the people and the land of the people into private interests. And I think that really... People see that. So when they say we are the good custodians of the country, we are the good custodians of the economy, people will say, well, what does that mean? Does that just mean you're just going to keep on giving money to private companies and we're all going to be, our rents go through the roof? Like, you know, and people see that. And I think that that message that we are a safe pair of hands, they go, well, we don't know the, the Sinn Féin are an unknown quantity, 
but by God, I'd rather, or like Sock Dems, or even Labour, or any of these other parties that of the left too, I think, you know, should be given a, should be given a shake as well. You know, they go, the alternative is, is better than what we have, you know. Ellen, like, Liv Radker talked about the backwoodsman of, of Fianna Fáil when he, when he tried to make the case for uh, Fianna Gael as the custodians, as Emma said, of sort of social change. Like, how does that play or does it have any impact in this in this election, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of people were talking last week about what changes Fine Gael would make to their strategy in the final week of the campaign based on how bad the polling was. They didn't change it dramatically, but something that they did do was pull out this idea, which they've been putting around a lot on social media, of, you know, some change is bad, but <laughs> good change is yeah. the change that we led. <laughs> so, like, marriage yeah. equality, the referendum on the Eighth Amendment, it doesn't really hold water, first of all, because one of the good things that Leo Radker did was had the good grace when the Dáil was passing legislation that led to the referendum on the Eighth Amendment to thank people like Ruth Coppinger, who yeah. I think, if I paraphrase what Leo said, were ahead of this when it wasn't politically expedient, mm. when it wasn't politically popular. Second of all, I'm uncomfortable with it because Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil both agreed that abortion is such a profound issue and both of them had anti-abortion people in their party that they couldn't force them to back the referendum, they couldn't force them to back the legislation. So to see Simon Harris putting out tweets talking about, you know, the number of Fianna Fáil TDs who voted against a certain measure just comes across as kind of a a a political tactic. Mm. And I know that people have been pointing out that they're uneasy about a Fianna Fáil government because there will be a review of that legislation over the next few years. I don't really think after the after how comprehensive the win was that even for shallow political reasons a Fianna Fáil government would try to unravel that legislation. And yes, there's questions about, you know, what would they do with the three-day wait and stuff. But for Fine Gael to kind of push that forward and try to claim that they have that record on social reform is just not, it's just not credible. Like, everybody knows that when Enda Kenny set up the Citizens' Assembly, he did not know that it was going to lead to free access to abortion up to 12 weeks. Everybody knows that Leo Varadkar was behind on LGBT plus equality. And he was behind on on repeal, he was behind Michael Martin. Yeah, he was behind Michael Martin as well. And I just think it's disingenuous, particularly when you look back at the... Labour Fine Gael coalition and how hard Labour had to work to get Fine Gael to agree to things like legislating for X. Yeah. I just find it, I just, I think anybody who cares enough about issues like abortion to base their vote on it on Saturday knows that Fine Gael is not the party who's had like, you know, they haven't traditionally been a pro-choice party. It's not a cabinet full of glorious dynamics. Like people don't, people aren't going to fall for that. It's it, people people <clears throat> who want, you know, a progressive uh, liberal uh, democracy, socially liberal, I should say, they understand that the type of liberalism that they're practicing and that Fine Gael is practicing is a type of like what bell hooks would call, you know, lifestyle feminism, mm-hmm. lifestyle liberalism. It's liberalism and feminism for people that sound like they're in Fine Gael if you want pay parity, which is a brilliant thing. But we see their record necessarily, let's say you're a traveller woman and you're living, you know, in on the side of the road and like one of the lowest life expectancies or there's women living in direct provision or there's women in areas of social deprivation with high levels of incarceration and, and drug addiction. You know, it's 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 a liberalism that extends only to people within a certain, like, you know, uh, income bracket. So, you know, when they kind of put themselves forward as this kind of progressive party of, of change, that just doesn't ring true and it rings hollow. And it especially rings hollow with a generation that is, we see the referenda as great, 
but the constitute the the, the refer- what was the thing they did at the very in 2011 the there's been so many things about the constitution that we are asking to change we want radical change mm. some people would even say a second republic you know we're a constitution that is fit for purpose the constitution is a living breathing document that needs to be changed again and again and again to keep pace and what they do is they go you can have a little bit yeah, that's enough. Do you think they feel just that, like, enough, you know. there's not enough uh, credit given to them, or is it basically the case that you know, with repeal, especially people were waiting, especially people who feel strongly about it, were waiting so long. So it wasn't a question that they've been they've been taken here by a government, but actually, what happened was overdue. Like you know, we 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 saw there were so many tragedies, so many terrible stories, uh, and you know the day to day consequences of, of women traveling to the UK. Um, so that actually it wasn't a case of, of, of thank, you know, giving credit to the government. It was like, now we are finally sort of allowing people fr- a, a freedom that should have been well, theirs for 30 years ago. Repealing the 8th didn't take us into the 21st century. Yeah. Like, it took us into, like, the middle of the 20th century. Yeah. You know, like, the fact that they could claim any kind of credit for something like marriage equality is just baffling. You know, like... The idea that, oh, you know, gay people can have rights. Sure, you know, it's just like, yeah, 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 we know, like, you know, everybody has been aware of that for a long time. And for them to have stalled on these things, if anything, is just a mark against them. But they got credit. Like, their polls were so high after Leo Varadkar's uh, popularity was so high. The government's popularity was so high after a repeal that if you wanted to go, that could have been a time to go. And for a health minister, traditionally, well, before the housing crisis, would have been one of the most unpopular positions in the cabinet. And to have people in Dublin Castle holding up signs saying I fancy Simon Harris I think they got plenty of credit Mm, some people would argue too much credit so to be dragging it out now in the dying days Mm. of a campaign is it's just I just think it's a mistake but it just does underline the sort of panic and like if you talk like talk to people in Fine Gael they will tell you that you know this hasn't taken them by surprise everyone knew there was this Mm. appetite for a change of government I don't think they realised there was so much appetite for such a change of government I think they, yeah, they, they, they just really underestimated people, the, the, electric's, the electorate's empathy <clears throat> for the suffering of other people. You know, when the local elections happened, Bradker and a number of other uh, politicians were saying, you know, we really hear you on the environment, but then tried to absolutely kind of dismiss the idea that that they didn't do as particularly well as they did because of homelessness. That mm. wasn't an issue that was coming up on the doorsteps. And now they see that it is. So I think, you know. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, we're, we're talking about the electorate's empathy and we'll still wait and see if that's uh, manifests itself <laughs> yeah. over, over the weekend. But one of the things then, obviously this week, when the Irish Times poll was, was came out, Sinn Féin were then added to the uh, main leaders' debate on Tuesday. And that fitted in then to a narrative around Sinn Féin, which, depending on your point of view, was either a demonisation of the party and, and their links or an understandable exploration of, you know, those links. Um, but we might just listen to that clip from the leaders' debate when uh, Miriam McCallan asked Mary Lou about the, uh, the murder of Paul Quinn. Well, I was directly. watching you last night um, being interviewed by Brian Dobson and you said then... I've, and this is a quote from you last night. I've spoken to Conor Murphy about this issue before. He is very clear that he never said that, that that is not his view. Yes. So you've changed so, your well, position. In a way, Miriam, what matters is what the family have heard. And what matters is that the family... Well, what matters is what he said, because actually we found yeah. the quote today. It was on BBC in November 
2007, a month after Paul was murdered. And what Minister Murphy said was, and I'll quote again him verbatim on the BBC, Paul Quinn was involved in smuggling and criminality. I think everyone accepts that. As I say, this is a very difficult situation. As there is a family grieving, I don't want to yeah. add to their grief. So look, let me just say, those things should not have been said. Those things should not have been said. Connor withdraws them and apologises. Pardon me? Last night you said they weren't said. Had he... my, my, to be honest with you, Mary, my recollection was that, that he had not been as explicit as that. The remarks were wrong, they're withdrawn correctly and will be apologised for directly to, to Mrs So Quinn your remarks, sorry, to, to Brian last night were wrong too? Yes, well, obviously I, I, I was not... I, 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 I remembered uh, Connor being not quite as direct on, on this but matter. But he had told you that he's very clear, you said, he never said that, and that is not his view. He had told you he'd never said that. Were you annoyed he'd said that? that no, he I, never I, said I, that? That, that's not it. My sole concern in this is that the family have been hurt, and the remarks made need to be withdrawn and apologised for it. That's the correct thing to do, so and Connor that's Murphy what Connor will do. is going to, Minister oh, Murphy absolutely. is going to apologise to Breach Absolutely, that's, that's the correct and the decent thing to do. So, Ellen, that was... Uh, you know, a difficult moment for Mary Lou, and maybe you know some people in Sinn Fein might have been wondering that she, you know, they might have she might have been better off even not being in the debate at that point because while she wasn't there, Sinn Fein surge was continued, but suddenly, suddenly she could be put on the spot. How well do you think that has been handled by Sinn Fein this week? I think it was handled really badly. Like you heard Miriam O'Callaghan saying, that night of the debate was the night after she had been asked questions on the same issue uh, in her interview with Brian Dobson. So she should have been ready for it. Cast your mind back to the first week of the election when we broke that story about Paddy Holan. That morning when the story broke, she walked up to a gang of reporters and before anybody had time to even ask her a question, she cut everyone off and had a pre-prepared answer about how those remarks were unacceptable. What Paddy Holan said isn't even on the spectrum of seriousness compared to this issue. She wasn't prepared for it. I think it was a perfect example of being careful what you wish for. That was the moment of the debate. It was the top of the news all the next day. But there were other moments where she was shaky and unprepared. I thought that the answers on special, crim- sorry, non-answers on the special mm. criminal court were particularly bad. And I've personally been really uncomfortable with some of the rhetoric online over the past few days. I haven't heard it from anybody in the Sinn Féin Parliamentary Party and I need to make that clear. But the suggestions that there's some sort of establishment conspiracy theory to keep Sinn Féin out when people are asking very valid questions makes me uncomfortable. And it's natural that the closer you get to power, the more scrutiny you're put under. The news is not an absolute list every day of everything that matters. It's directed by events and it's totally natural for Sinn Féin to be expected to give much better answers on this issue than Mary Lou gave this week. And also to be expected during an election campaign because one of those lines of attack has been that, you know, uh, people are making, you know, making mileage out of this during, for political gain during an election. No, like that, that again, like I was really uncomfortable to see people saying that after the interview with Breach Quinn on the Sean O'Rourke programme and RT Radio 1. Uh, RT had done a piece on this story as recently as October when there was no election and it wasn't. So the idea that, you know, people are misusing the family, when I think the family themselves have expressed gratitude that the election has given them an opportunity to focus on this issue. And if you're saying that the media is bad for uh, using this issue against Sinn Féin, you could use the same rhetoric to say that Sinn Féin is just as bad for only offering an appropriate apology during an election. Do you think... Like, why, apart from the obvious, why do, is there this uh, slowness in Sinn Féin to deal with these issues? Like, because it is, it is something that for one, you know, is going to 
remain with them until they give these incomplete answers or they give these answers that tend not to like allow a real sort of sense of moving on in from from you know what has happened in the past like why why can't they why can't they it sounds like a very stupid question why can't they just do this why can't they be more sincere and do these things in a more sort of wholehearted way because they've never had to before. Yeah, I think yeah. a big part of what is happening in this election is Sinn Féin now have to balance the kind of people who are always going to give them a first preference with the kind of people who are going to put their candidates maybe number two, number three, number four. So for the first time probably ever, they have to balance their hardcore base of supporters, most of whom will have made their... I mean, if you're a hardcore Sinn Féin supporter, you surely made your peace with Sinn Féin's history and everything that that entails. But if you're someone who's looking at Sinn Féin now over their policies on housing or healthcare maybe you're not, you mightn't be as well versed in what their history is. You mightn't be as happy to accept everything in their history. And like Alan says, you know, it is ridiculous that, you know, like for 13 years to go by without an apology is preposterous. Like, you know, you can point to Bertie Ahern made similar remarks about Paul Quinn and he apologised a long Mm. time ago. Um, So I think the reason this is such a problem for Sinn Féin now is because for the first time ever, they need to bring on board all these people who might abandon them, you know, after a, a flub like this. So it's they have to be much more careful. And the, it seems to have eluded them, both when it comes to Paddy Hollihan and uh, the Paul Quinn matter. So I think where this is really going to hurt Sinn Féin is not with first preferences, but it's the kind of people who are thinking, oh, maybe I'll give them a number two, number three, who are now thinking seven, eight, nine. Does it, does, it, does it matter, Emmett, do you think? Does this stuff... Like, because we talked about housing and, you know, one of the narratives of the debate has been whether, like, Sinn Féin's baggage Mm. matters to the people most affected by things like housing. Or even in some instances, we've talked about this in the show, that actually the baggage, the kind of, you know, the sort of memification of republicanism is something that is is part of their appeal. But this, when you get to an issue like this Mm. and the reality of it, like, there's no, you know, you suddenly, you all that stuff looks kind of tasteless, really. Yeah, it does. And people don't really appreciate kind of, you know, wishy-washy sentiments from any kind of politician, regardless of the past. <clears throat> it's kind of like the Corbyn conundrum, you know. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be, like, not you know, pro-Brexit or again, like campaigning mm. against Brexit. You need to reckon with the history of the party, and they need to. So they need to, as I said, get out ahead of any of these things and say... And I think what happens with a lot of them is <clears throat> some of them in the party are fairly new they're young so maybe they don't feel they own that history as much as some of the older kind of like politicians do but they do own that history it's part of their 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 political makeup it's part of like it's the, the horrors the terrors of the troubles you know what I mean so yeah this is a part of their history and they need to own up to it um, I do think there's a kind of narrative <clears throat> that young people essentially don't know about this mm. and that's why there's a surge of young people I think that as well can kind of be kind of insulting, you know what I mean? Like young people, especially if you're 18, you've literally just left school, you've been doing history for the last 10 years, you know, the idea that people who are young don't know the history of Ireland, they do. Uh, I think they know their history, I think they care deeply about their history, I think they know how awful and how terrible that history is. I think though they live in the very present moment of 2020, Mm in the same way that voters possibly in the 1950s had reckoned with the violent, you know, beginnings of the Republic, or voters in the 1970s had reckoned with the origins of Fine Gael in the 1930s. I think that these young voters, not that they've reckoned with it, but they know about it, but they're very, very concerned about the fact that they're maybe one paycheck away from becoming homeless, Mm. or they're maybe one paycheck away from having to emigrate. They're very, very concerned about the fact that they 
have a job maybe yes with full employment but they have a quality of life that was promised to them that is not being delivered and they are under incredible stress so history becomes uh, becomes academic at mm. some stage and it shouldn't ever you know what I mean it shouldn't ever because it's real lives and real people and you know it needs to be addressed so I think you have a lot of young people like Emmett says who have maybe come out of school in the last 10 years right and to them 1970 is going to look an awful lot like 1920 yeah. and 1916 yeah. so they're looking back and they're looking at you know Fianna Gael Fianna Fáil and they're like they were all at it you know like because yeah. yeah. for them it has all blended into one you know curriculum basically of historical bloodshed yeah. so it's not so much looking at like they can't necessarily relate as closely as someone who might be 40 or 50 who may have lived through the worst of the troubles if you you're someone who has just become eligible to vote in the last 10 years and your knowledge of the IRA or of the Troubles or whatever like that is purely through uh, the education system, you're probably not going to have as visceral a connection to it. And I think that's going to be trumped you know, nine times out of ten by the fact that, as Emmett says, you might be able to afford rent next month or the fact that you might be on the dole and you can't find a job, you might have to go to Australia. I think the fact is people aren't going to prioritise one historical event over the other. But as, you know, we have to remember, these aren't just historical events. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you talk about something like these, uh, like, you know, scurrilous and inaccurate accusations made against someone who was a victim of murder, like there's nothing historical, but that has to be addressed. And the fact is that Sinn Féin shoot themselves in the foot by not addressing it at the time, by letting it go so long. And by and then when it comes time to actually apologise, you know, even now, you know, Mary Lou McDonald's her answer was Conor Murphy will apologise yeah. you know, why hasn't he apologised they also use a very passive tense when they talk about these things like an apology will be issued like yeah. it's always kind of as if they don't want to fully uh, you know speak about it in an active sense mm. like we will yeah. apologise Conor will apologise it's sort of you know somewhere an apology will float down and it will be taken care of rather than as Carl says actually sort of take ownership of I it think, I think Irish people don't have much to that we don't really have much truck with the idea of violence and lawlessness. You know, Ireland is an incredibly, there is a lot, there is an increase in violent crime, um, but Ireland is an incredibly safe country because of the, the law-abiding nature of the Irish citizen mm. and fair play and so forth. And I think sometimes a lot of the electorate finds it incredibly distasteful when politicians stand up in the doll and all of a sudden have an interest in people in the north or certain aspects and then they mm. literally walk out of the chamber and have forgotten about that person's name that they've put on the doll record. That person's a, you know, a person, has a family, you know, is a victim of violence and so forth. And it kind of happens the same with housing statistics, you know, it becomes numbers and stuff like that. And I think people kind of look at them and go, you're talking about actual people here. You know what I mean? We want you to kind of have a bit more, mm. not a bit more empathy. I think they have empathy, but it seems to be that they don't. Helen, do you think on, on Carl's point there about the people who are going to vote number one for Sinn Féin anyway, do you think I think in some in in their when they comes to the, the their links you know to the IRA and the, the sort of the violence of the past that they're too concerned with that core vote still to actually move on from it that they don't want to abandon like to whatever they think is on on the on the on the extreme you know beyond them in an extremist sense uh, they don't want to kind of do anything that will sound like they're abandoning those core principles. Yeah, I mean, it's quite difficult for, for Sinn Féin because they're basically trying to straddle two different constituencies of people. And I don't, I think because nobody anticipated this happening during this election, you can see from the number of candidates that they field, Sinn Féin maybe hasn't even had an internal conversation about how it does that yet. But I do think, like, 
both of the lads were saying, if you're in Owner Bryn's constituency, even with everything that's happened this week, are you really going to associate mm. someone like Owner Bryn with that sort of like genetic idea of what Sinn Féin is? And I think that one of the best things that could possibly happen after this weekend when everyone's like looking at the tea leaves and kind of deriving meaning from things would be actually a point that the DUP made during the week about how it was hypocritical mm. for Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael to say that they have to go in to government with Sinn Féin in the North for the sake of the North, but then to kind of abandon them abandon the idea mm. of that straight out the gate down here is I think kind of hypocritical and I think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael need to accept that they have uh, they have a role to play in how popular Sinn Féin have emerged in this election and I think a lot of people have been saying that sort of like othering of both the North yeah. and the othering of Sinn Féin has has not served the interests of Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael and this idea of kind of bringing Sinn Féin in from the cold they are a they are a legitimate political mm. party now and they need to be scrutinised as such but also treated as such. But it's funny you mention Owner Bryn because I saw him on The Tonight Show, I think, yeah. was it the same? And he was also, he was a councillor in North Belfast as well. And I actually thought the tone he took when he's talking about these, you know, events and just broader reconciliation yeah. was was more subtle and was more nuanced than you sometimes get from some Sinn Féin members where they tend to be, they tend to be just parroting, uh, you know, they'll talk about words like reconciliation, but you don't really feel there's any weight behind it. Whereas there was some sense of we actually need to do, you know, we need to do more and there needs yeah. to be a kind of, you know, a, a truce. And he talked about, he talked about victims of, you know, working with all victims in North Belfast, including victims yeah. of, of IRA crime. Um, but also Owner Bryn does seem to be the person who has done so much for Sinn Féin in the sense when you talk about housing. Like there are two people in the, in the election when you talk about housing. There is Owen Murphy and there's Owen O'Brien. And like, could you name, could you could a member of the public name anybody else's housing spokesperson? Nobody, yeah. like <clears throat> young people don't know who Dara O'Brien is. Yeah. And like, that's an amazing, that's, that's incredible. amazing. When yeah. housing is like the yeah. number one mm-hmm. issue of the election, that's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. And I think it's the, you know, the, I think he is, Owen O'Brien has become a kind of galvanising uh, or lightning rod kind of figure for young people in the electorate because they see someone who's uh, smart, intelligent and is has literally written a book on public housing in Ireland and is offering <clears throat> a solution to the housing crisis that is not simply let's just do what we've done in the past or that kind of simplistic ideology of, not ideology, a very, very basic kind of economic solution of it's all about supply and demand. Any economics person would tell you it's not simply about that and it's not that simple of an issue. So I think when people see kind of, you know, somebody like him, they go, I can trust this person. Whereas uh, with Owen Murphy, you know, if you're giving facts and figures and then Owen Murphy's kind of just giving blather and kind of is talking about his own personal experiences and what are those things, the pod living thing? uh, You know, people were like, that looks dystopian, man. I don't want to live in that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so they, they kind of look at, you know, what's behind door number one, what's behind door number two and... Owen O'Brien just looks more kind of capable. Not looks more capable. He sounds more intelligent and he sounds far more capable than any of the other options. It's actually funny because of all the labels to get thrown at Sinn Féin, like, you know, you get some people calling them Marxists, some people calling them radical, I've seen ethno-nationalists. But like, at the end of the day, Owen O'Brien is more of like a a technocrat. Like, this is a man who's like an expert in housing who wants to be Minister for Housing. Yeah. 
you know, so I think at the end of the day, and like, you know, you have to, I think, again, what has helped Sinn Féin is a lack of cohesion around the people who dislike them. You know, people dislike them for all different sorts of reasons. And when that happens, it becomes very hard to cut through with one actual reason to dislike yeah. them. Like I've seen, like, for example, ethno-nationalism, which is a crazy, you know, yeah. that's that's nothing like what Sinn Féin are. And then you have like Marxism, when this is, this is a party that wants to cut property tax on all Ooh. property. Like Karl Marx... You know, he believed in a lot of things, and one of them was definitely not deadly tax-free property for everybody. No, you know, no, like no, private well, no, property. It is kind of you know, Corbyn-style populism, really, isn't it? It's there's a lot of free, like there is a lot of people getting stuff out of uh, out of Sinn, a Sinn Fein manifesto. But it's nothing like Corbynism. Like Corbynism would go out and talk. Like Jeremy Corbyn literally called for like the requisition of empty, which requisition to me suggests like military people coming in and taking your private property and stuff like that when, you know, when Grenfell burned. He literally called for people's private property to be handed over for people to be housed. The vacant sites. Vacant sites and stuff. Whereas Sinn Féin are literally talking about uh, something that is just a lot more uh, like it's nowhere near as radical you know as in like if you're a party who's talking about abolishing property tax a party who's on the fence about carbon tax like these are not it's not it's not Corbynism you know they're strong, they're basically advocating for a very not limited but they're they're advocating for a form of social democracy that's practiced mm. on mainland Europe that has never been practiced here you know so it's not as radical I don't think I don't think any of the parties of the of the left really are asking for anything that's too radical I think some of them are asking for things that are radical but these these policies and what you say they're trying to straddle that kind of middle class you know people that they're afraid are going to come in and take their house yeah. and then other kind of young people that are saying we'll give you something you know but not everything you know but I thought Fine Gael's attempts I, t- I spoke with Pascal Donoghue this week and his attempts to counter you know the youth surge uh, among Sinn Féin was to point out that uh, Fine Gael's pension plans were looking yeah. after mm-hmm. uh, young people which I felt kind of slightly missed the point that if you're uh, if you're talking about trying to appeal to young people now tell them it's okay we've got yeah. your backs in 40 years <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah, one yeah. thing you can't mention there and it's just like some of the kind of you know the hot takes or whatever you want to call it like when <laughs> calling like Sinn Féin ethno-nationalists when the Progressive Democrats, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, pushed for the 27th Amendment, I think, to the Constitution, which removed birthright for Irish citizens, you know what I mean? Something they did because they said, you know, they created a bogeyman of, uh, of immigration. And then talking about kind of other parties, you know, they stood over that policy and they stand over policies like direct provision, you know, I think is kind of nonsense, you know. Um we're going to, before we go then, we're just, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about, as I said, the electorate in terms of, you know, we've already know what they're going to do. Some people have been, been mentioning this week that there's been a kind of fallback in Sinn Féin support. I think that's entirely anecdotal. There's no evidence for that except for the fact that they have been put on the spot um, a bit more in the last few days. But Ellen, as we go into the weekend, you're going to be at the count centres, both of you, Carl, you're going to be at the count centres on Sunday. Emmett, you might be in here with us again, I hope, at some stage on Sunday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, Live on air, you got to come. You've got to go, you're coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're Do I have a choice? Here. You're staying <laughs> in our cave. You're staying in our cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but is there anything, what do you, I don't want to go into a full scale. I started making, I've got been so infected by this election that I actually started making 
uh, seat by seat predictions myself <laughs> yesterday, and then I was like, "What? Is, what has happened to me?" Yeah. You know, I used to attend you know sporting events, and now. Listen, I think I, I remember you said at the outset of this podcast that part of me and Alan's job was to convince you why you should care about this election. So clearly, <laughs> yeah. we've succeeded. So, I know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so uh, yeah, it's worked. But what would you see? What are you? What are you? Is there anything you're expecting? Is there any predictions you want to make uh, at this stage? I want to see what happens to the Greens because I think one of the blind sides that Sinn Féin has and everybody talks about this youth quake and this young vote, the climate section of their manifesto yeah. is not good. It's really not good. And, you know, I think that their stance on the carbon tax was motivated by a water ch- charges style uh, motivation. And that's certainly that the, the way that they talk about it. Um, and I want to find out, you know, what happens with everybody overstates transfers. They only made a difference with, I think, 10% of seats in 2016. But I want to see if what happened in the local elections for the Greens actually translates into something that we'll see on Sunday with new faces coming through in places like Dublin Central, where uh, you have a candidate going up against Mary Lou and Pascal Donoghue. Um, I That's the kind of only thing that, that's the kind of like subplot that I want to focus on. you're going to see any Fine Gael, like high profile yeah. Fine Gael casualties? I think yeah. you'll see like Regina Doherty seems to be under a bit of pressure she's Minister for Social Protection and I noticed that this week um, Pascal Donoghue's team was putting leaflets through doors in Dublin Central saying that the strategy they want now is a number one for Pascal rather than trying to get his running mate Deirdre Duffy who was involved in repeal um, in as well and obviously like parties panic politicians panic all the time and stuff like that can really be overstated but I think that's remarkable when you consider how high profile Pascal has been mm. and the fact that he's first of all the Director of Elections second of all the Finance Minister which is like Finnegill's what they thought was their golden egg. Um, so I I would not expect to see him lose his seat, but I'd be interested to see how long it takes, how many counts it takes before he's elected on Sunday. Will I make my Simon Coveney prediction? Yeah, go on. Committed uh, to... <laughs> committed to... to oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I have this hunch based on very, very, very little, and he's 33 to 1 on to keep his seat, but I have this hunch that Simon Coveney might struggle in really? Cork South Central. Yeah, it's based wow. on very, very little. As I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I want to, you know, just pull it out. If it doesn't happen, we can just. Yeah. So we'll I, I really don't think team. Simon Coveney is going to get elected. So we'll just clip it yeah. down to just that little I'm, bit yeah. and we'll just put that out. I'm at, I'm at the boundary of kind of Dublin Bay South. So I think my choices are the people like Eamon Ryan and Owen Murphy and Kevin yeah. Collin and stuff like that. And, and uh, I think it's Chris Andrews and Sinn Fein and stuff. I don't know how to call it because, like a lot of constituencies, I live in an apartment block. And nobody comes to our doors because they can't get in your door. Yeah. So, and as well as that, it's, it's a community maybe where where I'm living, where a lot of people maybe are brand new. They've only just moved into it because of the kind of uh, tr- like um, transient kind of nature of young people having to move from house to house to house because rental properties in New York State. So, I wouldn't be able to call it at all. I think there's some people are talking about uh, Finnegal are not going to return two candidates in that constituency. Uh, Kate O'Connell took uh, Lucinda Crichton's uh, vote, I think, when she left. I do think Murphy's going to be in trouble. I, Eamon Ryan, I think, will top the poll. Uh, and then in my hometown in Tala, you know, went back out there. Bizarrely, for some reason, Sinn Féin only ran one candidate when they, they could have easily gotten two over the line. Fianna Fáil are running three. I think local politics still big. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like Catherine Bassan, she did a lot of great work like in Tala mm. in terms of adult education and I'm very thankful to her for that but I think her seat is in, is in danger because of her support for this particular government. I think one thing I would like to say before, I really, really wish that the parties of the left and I put the Green Party in there and I know the iteration of the Green Party in this country as opposed to the pan-European iteration of the Greens is very different and same for Labour. Labour, the Greens, Sock Dems, People Before Profit and Solidarity had have came out and made a left pact 
we could be looking at an incredibly different Ireland on Monday, but they didn't. And what we're going to get again is this kind of like infighting and kind of fighting over the pieces of the ashes. And what will happen is I think there'll be some kind of grand coalition. And if that does happen, or if Labour or the Greens do go into coalition and support either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, I think it would be political, you know, uh, I don't know, political death for both of them, I think, if they do that. Do you think that's something that could happen if there's an, another election very quickly, that there might, you know, Sirius McHugh mentioned that in the interview with us as well about a kind of opposition, a shadow cabinet of mm. the left. Yeah. Uh, is, there some, is there likely to be, because of the Sinn Féin surge, because of this election where you're seeing the real possibility of a left-right yeah. divide, that actually part the you know the party to the left might do that for I, th- I think with the Greens it's what something Alan said earlier you know the, the, the what they call in Britain you know the shy Tories mm. I think essentially a lot of people who are kind of shy Fine Gaelers who will shift to the Greens so I don't really see them I see them as a party of the very direct centre yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean so the idea that they would kind of like maybe go into some sort of grand coalition I think they will try and get into government because that's been their policy in order to influence environmental policies uh, going forward but any kind of government of the right, like Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, all of their environmental solutions will be business-led first. Yeah. Mm. And ultimately, we need radical change for environmental catastrophe to, you know, ameliorate the worst effects of environmental uh, change. And you're not going to get yeah. that with a business-led as, first as model. F- as far as a leftist shadow cabinet as well, like you have someone like Brendan Howland, who, again, it's a Labour Party that doesn't really share the Labour values of most Labour parties across the world. Yeah. You have Brendan Howland, he won't go into government with Sinn Féin. He's very emphatic on that, but he will go into government with Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil. So like I think a shadow ca- if there was a shadow ca- it would be more so a shadow cabinet of the far left and I think this yeah. is a, if I'd, I would really like to make because making predictions thrills me uh, because <laughs> because it's, it's not about being right or wrong it about it's, power? it's just about throwing yourself out there and you know just leaving yourself open to being completely destroyed when what you say doesn't happen at all yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think <laughs> I think and on that note you keep going. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So, Let me say I know so, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do think actually funnily enough, I so I'm in the Tala constituency, Dublin South West, oh, yeah. and so like I think Paul Murphy is going to lose his seat. Right. I think Ruth Coppinger is in serious danger of losing her seat. Really? I think McBarry and Cork is in serious danger of losing his seat. So that's three solidarity PBP people right there. So I think there's been a left surge in some sense, it's, but it's more of kind of a centre-left surge that has helped yeah. Sinn Féin and has helped the Greens and could probably see Labour reclaim a few seats that they've lost. I don't think it's a far-left surge. I think, I think the far-left candidates who have done great work in the Dáil and who have yeah. pushed really strong agendas, who I think Absolutely. are really valuable voices, I think it's them who are going to suffer. So that's my, that's my wild so prediction. Do, so Maybe I'll be wrong. So do you uh, see any possibility of uh, talks around government formation after the election that doesn't involve Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, any of you? I don't, they, they, don't have the, they don't have the numbers. Yeah, they don't have the numbers. You know, like the, the, the Sinn Féin, you know, they, they're only winning 40, 42 candidates. 42, yeah. You know, so unless, as I said, there was some sort of like big grand kind of like broad left coalition. I hope there is. I hope that the way the chips do fall, that there could be some kind of like rainbow style left government. I do think that is achievable. So we should say to people that if you are looking for a left alternative, go out, vote left. A vote left all the way down the docket. Obviously, you know where I stand on this particular political spectrum. But... Um, <laughs> You know, so like, do do go out, do vote, because there is still a possibility of a left-wing government. So we shouldn't say that there is no, but what will happen is, I hope, yes, I do hope that they'll all coalesce around some sort of left-wing-led government. But um, yeah, we can only hope. But it's more likely to be Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Never. 
On that bombshell, Emmett, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Ellen and Carl, thanks as always. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to State of Us on all the usual uh, podcast platforms. Uh, We will be back on Sunday for a number of shows. We're going to be, Carl and Ellen are going to be here and at Count Centre's all through the day, we'll be doing a number of shows on YouTube and a, and a special uh, rap podcast on Sunday evenings. So uh, try and join us for some of them, and we'll see you then. I mean, the whingers that I hear every week saying, there's nothing happening. Well, all of the protesters that I have seen before uh, seem to have extremely expensive phones, tablets, uh, video cameras, and other... Sorry, sorry. It's more like um, a very trendy kind of boutique hotel type place, right? Please. Fuck you, Deputy Stag. Fuck eight, you. Eight, eight. There's a very simple false assumption which you're saying that I am a wealthy man. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't necessarily assume that if I were you. Ask my bank manager. When it comes to Sinn Féin and the rule T-shirt. of law... T-shirt. public order Deputy and condemning violence. It doesn't take very long for your balaclava to slip. Up the Republic, up the rebels, and it's Chucky Arlong! Control yourself. <laughs>